Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey folks, this episode contains stuff of an incredibly graphic and triggering nature. So I just wanted to give you a heads up before you went in. If you feel like you're not feeling up to it this week, that's cool. Maybe tune in next week. When I was a kid, my dad was a cop. You see, my dad was a cop in the 1980s in Sydney, which has been widely regarded as one of the most dangerous times to be a police officer in Australia. It was basically the Wild West. So I wrote a book about it. It was called Loose Units. And then we did a podcast about it. Loose Units Season 1 was an incredible experience, and we loved every minute of it. But it turns out that dad did more than just patrol the streets he plunged headfirst into the terrifying world of forensics. So on this season of Loose Units, that's what we're doing. We're going deep into the world of forensics and fingerprints and all of that good stuff. Well, I say good stuff. Actually, things got worse than ever. So strap in for Loose Units Season 2, Electric Blue. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Loose Units Season 2, Electric Blue, the true crime podcast where me, Paul Verhoeven, talks to my dad, an ex-cop from the 80s. That's my dad across from me, right? Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Brilliant. Are you having fun? Yeah, love it. Yeah? Love it. <laughs> no, no, seriously, I actually love it. Yeah, I know. But it's uh, traumatic. And yeah, so mildly. You're, you're dying on the inside, but yeah. that's okay. Well, look, obviously, last week we talked about a cat burglar's... Um, I guess tumble is a pretty nice mm. way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, and I would say that's that qualifies as levity. So I think it's about time to dive back into the dark stuff. Mm. So you um, you gave me a meaningful look before and said that you have quite a few pretty messed up cases for this week's episode. Yep. So um, where do you want to start? Well, how about I'll start with uh, a case I was involved in. Uh, it's a... Uh, it, I'm not going to talk about it for a long time because it's fairly, fairly brief. So, look, I'll just tell you a few cases where I had to go to the morgue when I was in fingerprints. Well, I was actually thinking, because we're talking about fingerprints now, mm, yeah. um, you were in, um, in uh, what was it called, relief and assist? That was scientific. But then I went on, because I, I could never get the gig full time. It was just so, the guys that were there, would I knew they'd die there. And they were, they, they were not old guys. They, you know, two of the guys were in their 30s. And I thought, you know, I'm going to have to wait a long, long time. So I thought, I, I, I still want to get involved. I wasn't really turned on by ballistics. I could have gone into that section. Sure. But the firearm gun thing wasn't really my scene. Mm. And then I thought, what else can I do in the New South Wales Police Force that's sort of forensic related where I'll get to go to major crime and, and really help be at the pointy end, help investigate, help help solve crime. And then 
I thought, wow, fingerprints. So the Central Fingerprint Bureau in Australia mm. happened to be uh, in Sydney. And it was, uh, and I went for a couple of interviews and I was fortunate enough to become, you know, a trainee fingerprint technician. Yeah. Now, just tell me what, because most people don't really know anything about fingerprinting and how it works beyond the, the, you know, the kind of cinematic TV tropes where someone kind of gets your hand and rolls it across an ink pad and then dumps it on a page. But how does it... Finger- Look, fingerprints are so, so... They are fascinating. So how does a fingerprint identify? How do you identify somebody based right, well, on let's, let's get down to basics. Great. So with the human... Oh, look, humans are not the only living creatures to have fingerprints. So could you not technically get like a monkey's fingerprints I, and plant well, them at the scene of a crime? Uh, well, you know, I, primates do have uh, fingerprints. Huh. Here's the thing. For the system to be infallible... Yes. No two sets of fingerprints in the world can be the same. You can imagine if you had identical fingerprints, the whole system overnight would be thrown out. Right. Obviously. So, even identical twins have different fingerprints. Now, there's something that I've been thinking about over the last few years, which is pretty scary, and I've never heard it discussed, but here's here's a little bit of a, a curved ball, and that is that once we are successful... In cloning, mm. I believe the fingerprint system will be thrown out overnight because cloned humans will have identical fingerprints. They have to. You could get like a kind of barcode or something kind of popped on yeah, there. Yeah, but th- think about it. No two fingerprints are the same until you clone. Right. But that's an aside. But I, I just, that's how, that's one of the thoughts that I've had over the years, which is fairly, you know, whatever. <laughs> um, but back to fingerprints. Please. So if you get your fingers and you rub your thumb over your fingers and then you get your fingers and then you rub them on your forehead, Mm -hmm. they will be pretty oily. Yeah. Okay. Now, if you then get those same uh, fingers and touch some glass, there's a bottle over there in front of you, and just touch it nicely and then remove your... And you've left latent fingerprints. And what does latent mean? Um that they've that they've been left at the. Oh, you don't know, do you? Oh no, shit! <laughs> I'll have to look that one up. Latent. Anyway, look, it just means that left at the scene of left somewhere. You've left a print somewhere. That's a latent print. I mean, that's the Greek definition, at least. Stammering on. Yeah, I'm a little worried now. Uh, look, yes, yeah, so I've got the bottle here, and yep. this is an actual prop, and I'm looking at it, holding it up to the light, and yeah, there's a there's a pretty no, clean amazing. fingerprint. And then if I was to <clears throat> take out a magnifying glass, yep. I could look at those prints, and I could. I could tell you what type of patterns because they're within the realm. So from the first joint to yep. the tip of the finger, mm. that's the area that is, um, you know, categorized. Yeah. And within every human being, do you know how many patterns there are, overall patterns? No. There are 10. There are 10 patterns. And they use these patterns. So some of the patterns are like walls, loops, arches. And then within all those, so in that first joint, you might have perhaps up to maybe 350, 400 what are called points of identification. Sure. And in, in Australia, you, we only need 12 points for a conviction. So if I can find 12 points at the scene of a crime and match them up with the 12 points on your fingerprint that you have given to the police, that you, your inked copy, yeah. then that's, that's, that's good enough for the court. So you can place someone at the scene of a crime... Uh, if you can kind of get that many points lined up. Correct. Okay. But the problem, not the problem, but one of the weird things is that when I was in the fingerprint section, we used to be able to remove fingerprints. How's that? 
So we could actually use, like sticky tape, for example, but a little bit more advanced than that. Yeah. And I could t- remove your fingerprints off um, that bottle there. And here's the scary thing. I could put them at another crime scene. That's How? rather depressing, isn't it? How? By just re- removing them with some sticky stuff here. Yep. And then taking them to another crime and just just sticking them down and they'd then appear on another object, which is pretty damning. But then there are experts that will give evidence to hopefully say, well, we believe that they've actually been tampered with and, and moved perhaps. But that's that's a bit of a scary thing. Okay, so in the movies where let's say they will pop a little piece of tape on a bottle or whatever, get a print, yeah. and then put it on like a fingerprint scanner, you reckon that would actually work? Definitely. Oh. Yeah. So you've got to be, you still rely on the honesty of humans and the integrity. Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck with that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. So um, you've got your fingerprint. What did you feel like you had to offer the the world of fingerprinting that other people did not? Did you, did you ever bring Did you bring anything new to the table? I did. I I, I was involved in some really really uh, fairly cutting edge. Uh, I won't say research, but I had a few interesting ideas of my own later down the track that actually. Uh, one of them I wrote a bit of a paper on, scientific paper, mm. which is very exciting, but we'll get to that later. Sure. Um, but look, once you did all your basic training, you'd go out on the road with uh, experts and yep. you'd get to see how they worked and you know how they lifted prints off certain things, you know, motor cars, the different types of compounds that we'd use. And, you know, you can get fingerprints off, believe it or not, soil. Uh, there was what? Yep. Yeah, there was a rape uh, where a, a, a guy raped this woman and he, as he was raping her, he had his hands either side of her body in, in soil. And it was obviously fairly fine soil, but yeah, they, they managed to get prints off the soil, which is Damn. amazing. Um, and there was a really, really famous, there's a very uh, interesting case where there was a truck traveling from Sydney to Perth. And this is a story that I don't think many people will know. And they were carrying, amongst other things, they were carrying a very large batch of superglue. And this truck traveled across Australia, 5,000 kilometers. And when it arrived in Perth, they opened up the back of the truck and... They realised that because uh, there was there were also these packages that were wrapped in black plastic, and the guys looking at the black plastic and realised that the super glue had burst open, and it had created this uh, super glue kind of gas, like a highly toxic vapour, mm. and the vapour had exposed and uh, imagine highlighted in white all the fingerprints on the black plastic, and there started the process of using. So we used to, uh, if ever we had plastics that were fairly difficult to get prints off, yeah, we used to get a fish tank, like improvising, in our laboratories in the city, and we would suspend plastic from the scene of a crime, mainly to do with drugs. You can imagine wrapping heroin and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And we would expose, we'd have a, have a Petri dish, and we'd have about maybe 10 containers. We'd squeeze the containers of superglue into the Petri dish, and then we'd have the plastic from the proceeds of crime hanging on these, like a kind of a, like a clothesline within these fish tanks, and then we'd seal the top of the fish tank, and we'd come back 24 hours later. You'd pull the plastic out, and Bob's your uncle. Full, full, print. full prints on the plastic that have been exposed due to the... I mean, there's a classic ex- example of something amazing that's used in crime uh, fighting that was discovered by accident. Don't you find that fascinating? That's pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's so amazing. That, and then there was another process where we used to expose paper yeah. to what's called the ninhydrin process, which is like this purple dye, and you'd kind of you'd waft it over these prints, and it reacted to the oils, and, it, and we used to get fingerprints off paper. Really, really interesting stuff. And that wow. was used in bank card and credit card fraud. Could you fingerprint someone's toes? Definitely. 
I mean, people's toe prints aren't typically on the scene. But no, um, but if there was a toe print and you had a suspect, you could then ink the toe yeah. and then do a comparison. Huh. Which is interesting. Yeah. Um, but I guess at the at the coalface where I worked, um, they used to come through uh, fingerprints once you were well qualified and they used to come around and it was like a daily roll call where they'd come through and say, we have a body at the morgue, who'd like to go? And I pretty well always volunteered. Mm. So I got a bit of a reputation because I found it... As uh, a bit of a weirdo. Like. No, no, no. Was, I found it really, really challenging. Because right. I, 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 I thought it was really, really important because there are lots of people out there that are desperate to find out, you know, who their missing relative may be, particularly if it's a, the scene of a horrendous accident. Yeah. Um, so I, I'll, I'll tell you a few little, fairly quick little stories, sure. anecdotes, if you like, um, of things that I was involved in that are absolutely beyond surreal. Great. Um, Feel free to draw these out, by the way. Don't feel okay. like you need to rush yeah, through yeah. them. Yeah. Well, the first one, uh, on a Friday afternoon in Sydney, there was um, a mother, father, son and daughter. Yeah. Now, the son and daughter were in their uh, late teens, early 20s. Mm-hmm. And the parents, I guess, would have been perhaps in their late 40s, 50s. And they pulled up in Elizabeth Street. So this is round about 1983. Uh, and they parked. And the son got out of the car, and it's a Friday Arvo, and he goes into the bank. So, so far, that's not spectacular. Yep. He comes back, and he sees the car that he'd got out of is now six inches high. What's that? 12, 15 centimetres high? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the conversion is not what I'm thinking about right now. And you know how he knows it's his car? The number plate. So, the car that had been a normal car that he'd got out of and still had his mum and dad and sister in, mm. uh, was now the height of a number plate. If you could explain how that happened, I'd be very grateful. Cool. There was a construction site and it had a massive concrete slab and the crane and the wires, the steel cable broke and the slab came down perfectly. It was pretty well the size of a car and it just landed on top of the car and squashed the car with his mum and dad and sister still in, they were in the car. I'm assuming they would have died instantly. Without a doubt. And not known what was happening. Nothing. No idea you'd be... Go no, on in a no suffering, basically. Nothing. But he was he suffered. Well, yeah. So so then they managed to, through a process that I'm not familiar with, they managed to extract three uh, three groups of uh, body material. Yeah, you can imagine what it was like. It was like minestrone soup that had gone through a blender. You're a big fan of uh, Italian food in these metaphors, yeah, aren't you? And uh, so I was called to the morgue at Glebe and I was given three black plastic bags and inside each plastic bag was a sort of a gelatinous... Slurry. Slurry of, of basically, yeah, you can imagine. It yeah. was pretty pretty awful. And it was my job to identify the remains of these three people now, you might say, well, hang on a sec. Look, we know it was the mum, dad, and sister, but no, we don't. Well, because in a previous episode, you said that you actually had to have a coroner, like, confirm that a skeleton Correct. was dead. So, I'm guessing this industry doesn't have any wiggle Well, you room. can't have... Okay, here's a classic. In America, there was a guy driving across a bridge. Mm. He had his window down an inch. He got shot in the head. And then he had a car accident. Right. And it was a multiple fatality. Yeah. So, to everyone involved in the fatality, what's happened? Now oh, he fell asleep, he, he went to the wrong side of the road. No, 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 he was shot. 
So that's why during the postmortem they figure, hang on a sec, there's a bullet in his brain. Right. And then you work back. So you can never ever assume. So what what happens if um they were drugged and they were they couldn't get out of the way? Or or, or look, you just need to know that yeah. they are who they are. Of course. But but then I can see your next question is, what if they don't have a criminal record? Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. How am I going to do it? What do you think I'll do? I don't know, find a find a medium as in a like a psychic? No. Get it a What touch about the bag? what about I go to their house and I dust <sighs> all their personal objects. Sure. Like I go into the mum and dad's room mm. and I go to the dressing table and I see a brush or a comb or a toothbrush and I dust it and I lift prints from that. Yeah. Then I go back and I compare them with the prints I find. Now, this is pre-DNA testing, yeah? Yeah. Right. So, can I ask what it's like to go into the house of somebody who is in a bag three suburbs away? Like, is there a certain sense of like, well, because I mean, it's got to be sad. Like, the, a house is full of memories of a yeah. person that's there. It's full of mementos. Well, I don't really know the people. I know, but like, if it would, and I'm a professional. I'm going in with a, with the sole purpose yeah. of dusting some prints, and I'm, it's a challenge. I'm not judging you. I'm just curious as to what it's like from a like um, an emotional perspective. Did you did you think about? I think melan- melancholic would be a good word. Sure. Okay. Okay. I'm on my own. Ah, uh, that wouldn't help. You know, I'm in someone's house. Yeah. There might be a general duties police officer or someone that's let me in, maybe a relative. Yeah. And I'm trying to establish, uh, you know, the identity of these three. But but more, not more interestingly, but I've then got to sift through everything in the in the bags. So how do I do that? Um, I open up the bag mm-hmm. and they're on like a gurney. Yeah. And I look inside and I see numerous bits of 
you know, stuff. Yeah. And I have to sift through that to try and locate some epidermis that I believe is perhaps from a finger. Sure. And that's the, that's the process in a nutshell. Okay, so that's the first little fun hang, story. The hang second, on, hang on, hang on, yep, hang on. Yep, yep. You haven't told me how you did it. Well, I just pulled out bits of skin and sort of tried to put together, you know, but we, we had an idea. I didn't need to do a full reconstruction of all the hands. You know, I didn't need to because we knew where they lived and I knew that I could go and I only needed some some ideas of, you know, is that a thumb, is that a... Um, you know, a pointer, an index, a ring, a little. So you know, you ended up identifying them. Yeah. Yep. Um, and really, really satisfying. Good, good work. Yeah. I mean, what happens to the builders? Are they liable in any way oh, for this? Or I, I've got no idea. Okay. You know, that's. I don't. I do not think about stuff like that. Right. You know, you can't, because the second story uh, was a very, very, quite, well, quite a famous story. Um, I was debating on whether or not I should tell you the story, but it was um, it received Australian-wide publicity on 60 Minutes. Oh, sure. Okay. Uh, which is a show that I don't particularly like. Gotcha. Um, but it was a story they did. Now, I, I would like to actually say to the listeners that this story is pretty bad, but I'll tell it to you um, as nicely as I can. But it'll I mean, give you some insight into how the processes work behind the scenes and what we as fingerprint technicians used to have to do, not on a day-to-day basis, but you know, every few weeks, every month or so, you would have to do something that was pretty pretty heavy duty. And I don't think I've ever told you this, but I'll... I'll lay it on you. Well, I mean, I've popped a trigger warning up the front of this, but yeah, just everyone, again, our general philosophy with the show is if you are struggling, don't feel bad about it. You don't have to soldier mm. on. You're look, more than welcome This story is really, really fucked up. Okay. But, and look, I'm very, very aware of, um, I'd hate, look, I guess what I wouldn't like to happen is that the family of this particular boy to hear this story. So I'm hoping that, you know, perhaps it's been a long time ago. But Feel free, it, feel free to like obfuscate any details you feel. No, well, you, you need the details. Because it's it, it's part of the story and 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 it really puts things in into uh, it gives it great um, you know credibility this particular story yeah so there's a 16 year old apprentice so he's just started an apprenticeship with uh, which is a company we all know makes cornflakes but they also make rice bubbles and Paul do you know how a rice bubble is made uh, they get rice and I'm assuming they're subjected to great heat, Correct. puff it full of air. Well, they, they expose it to superheated steam and that pops. Because you can, you know how you can pop corn? Yeah. Everyone pops corn, but yeah. rice does the same thing. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. So perhaps if you stuck rice in a microwave, I'm not sure, and coated it in perhaps an oil, it might pop and it pops into a rice bubble. Mm. So there's this young apprentice. He's 16. He's just started at, at this company that makes rice bubbles and... He what they what they did they had these they're called a kettle and they're like a huge um, pressure vessel and they fill them up with rice and then at a certain point during the process they then uh, introduce superheated steam yeah. into this vessel and it pops all the rice gotcha and hey presto you've got a rice bubble mm. so this guy he's uh, told to go into this machine to do whatever, some maintenance, because he was doing an apprenticeship in yeah. um, sort of some maintenance field of, of engineering. Yeah. And what happens is up the line, uh, they tag the line. So they put these sort of um, these labels on the, ta- on the line to, to, to warn people that there's someone working down line. So this guy's inside the kettle. It's a big thing, probably as big as this studio. Okay, so a couple of metres squared. Yep, and, sure. and fairly high cylindrical 
made of stainless steel, might have an inspection like a like a submarine hatch with glass, so you can look inside to see how the process is coming along. Okay. And he's inside, and someone up the line uh, hadn't tagged the the line, and they let a whole lot of superheated steam into the kettle. There were no rice bubbles in the machine, just him. And he basically blew up. He, he pretty well... Now, what happened was uh, he was burnt beyond... Well, you can imagine the burns were horrendous, but they're not uh, charcoal black uh, sort of, you know, where you, where your body sort of goes black and sort of like in a fire. Yeah. yeah. He was hit with steam. Now, steam burns... Um, uh, a, a different type of burn. So his body went um, sort of electric pink, the whole body. And he screamed out, as you can imagine. I mean, imagine being trapped inside this vessel and you're basically being steamed. You know how, have you ever poured a, a cup of tea and the steam just comes up and just touches your fingers? Yeah. It's it's really bad. Mm. But his whole body was, was basically shrouded in, in this, not just normal steam, but superheated steam. And he screams and they, they managed to get him out of this kettle and he's alive. And they call the paramedics and the poor paramedics come in and there's this boy and he has literally um, doubled in size because he's the, the fluids inside him are wanting to escape. And it's like, it's just, you can't imagine what it's like. So what the paramedics have to do is that they, they use a blade um, and they cut all his primary muscles to release the fluid, so they cut his fem, like the leg um, muscles and the arm muscles, to release everything, because he's literally rock hard, like a like a super hard balloon, like taut, yeah, taut, and the skin's sort of ready to basically explode. So they they sort of need to relieve, and he's still alive. And it's it's it's, it's terrible. So this kid, sixteen year old, would be totally totally aware of what's going on, and that'd be pretty bad. And the the poor paramedics are working on him, and they uh, they had to stick a because um, his airways and everything expands, so he can't breathe. So they uh, they stick this um, uh, device down into his lungs to to sort of help him breathe. And then at a certain point in time, he passes away. So I, the coroner, now he had um, a wallet on him, yeah, um, but he, um, you know, the coroner says, well, we're not going to accept that even though everyone knows it's him, we need to fingerprint him. So that's when I come in. Okay, so did you think, are you thinking the story's pretty bad so far? It's pretty bad. Yeah, so it's it's going to go to the next level now. So I get I get to go to the morgue and I'm confronted with this young guy, 16-year-old, with the most incredible steam burns and they've got the huge, um, like, lacerations to his major muscle groups mm. to basically open him up and you can almost see the bones... And they've got all the things that the paramedics did to try and save his life. All the tubes, the cannulas, every single thing they did to him. What they do, they don't remove everything. They cut everything so that the coroner can see what was done. Because also you've got to consider that you have to make sure that the paramedics, perhaps what they did, didn't contribute to the death. Yeah, yeah, okay. So Like a paper trail kind of. Everyone needs to know what had been done up to the point he died. So when I come in... I'm looking at all this and I realised that I had to fingerprint this guy. Okay, warning, this is bad, What's, what happens next? I realised, because I'm by myself and I realised what I had to do. Now, this is kind of going into the into the dark world of forensics and fingerprints. So, I realised that what I had to do was pretty bad, which I'll come into in a sec, but I realised that I couldn't do it by myself. So, I 
called, I went out to my car and I put through a call to the Central Fingerprint Bureau and I asked for a colleague to come down. So I waited for about maybe 20 minutes, half an hour. And my colleague came in and he, he um, brought with him all the stuff we needed. So he brought like an ink tray, um, a tube of fingerprint ink, some papers, like some fingerprint forms. And um, we laid out the fingerprint forms um, as though they were in a police station. So when the police fingerprint you, there's a very um, sort of standard process used. So you ink the person's fingers, but the person's alive in a station. And the constable kind of puts the ink on the tray and you roll it across and you roll it over the white paper and you get these amazing and then you do the palm prints to make sure that all the fingers are actually in order. But we had to do that with this young guy. Now, what happened was because of the extreme nature of the injuries, his body was weeping. Um, so fluid was just coming through every pore in his um, skin, all over his body. So we decided to get a scalpel and we had to cut around his wrists and we pulled on each uh, fingernail. And what we did, and we did it really, really well. Like this is one of these things that you learn how to do it, but to actually do it and it works is pretty amazing. And we actually degloved the young boy. So we ended up with two perfect gloves. So we have his total, imagine, well, they're like plastic or rubber gloves. Haven't they been distended because of the pressure? Aren't no, they, no, they're are perfect. They, they're no, not... they, they weren't, weren't damaged in the slightest. Okay. And also when we pulled uh, the gloves off, the nails came with them. So it's pretty, it's pretty bad. But you're very professional and you're trying not to sort of think about... You're trying to be very focused on, on your job, which and re- is to and res- try and... And respectful as and, well. And respectful. Yeah. And you're working in an environment that's very... So it's a medical environment. It's very clean. It's very... It's very, it's, it's highly illuminated. It's, you know... And, and I remember the policeman, the, the fingerprint guy that I worked with. He's a terrific guy and we're working together. And then here's, here's the, the, the bit that's probably going to really upset quite a few people is that one of us then had to get our colleague to put the gloves on us. So you actually slide your hand into the deceased's gloves. I think I'm going to throw up. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Who but this is, is what happens. Who's, whose hand was it? Was it yours? I'm, I'm you know pretty what? sure you'd remember that. Yeah. I, you know what? I I think I've blocked it out. I'm not quite sure. But you, one of us had to put you, the gloves on perfectly. And then the other guy then patted dry because there's no more uh, moisture because they, they, they sort of dry up a little bit. And then we go through the process. And... One of us fingerprints goes through the whole process of fingerprinting the other, and we we come up with a perfect set of prints. And then we take the gloves off, the human gloves, uh, leave them with the the deceased, and then we go back to the central fingerprint bureau and we uh, we we do a search, we classify, and then search. And of course, he wasn't known. And you know what that means? We had to go to the home of the young boy to dust personal effects of him to identify him so and this guy had a wallet with a photograph of him in his back pocket so you knew it was him but but you had to knowing it it was him and not good enough for the courts well there'd been some other kid who stole his wallet or i mean yeah good point any you can't have any wiggle room you're right you're right so how's that for is that a is that a messed up story it's the single worst thing you've ever told me on this show yeah and you've told me some very bad things on this show. Mm. And I don't think you're a bad person for telling it. And I don't think it's a bad thing you told me. I just think it's like, hey, these things happen. No one, 
No one really thinks. No one thinks about it. So I draw you, I draw you and the listeners back to this salient point. Mm. Next time on the radio and the TV, when all of you out there hear the words, police are endeavouring to identify that particular person, that's what it's about. Something like that is happening in a room somewhere. Somewhere. That is really disturbing. Um, let's put a pin in that story for now. But I'd like to close out with a question. Um, from our very own Derek Myers, who runs these studios. Uh, we promised him we'd yep. answer his question. Derek asks, did you watch Quincy ME and say, ha, that's not how, how it really is? Yeah, I did. That specific show? Quincy cool. was, that was laughable. <laughs> I mean, if you want to watch a good forensic show, watch um, uh, Sherlock. Really? The modern one. You mean elementary? Love it. Elementary is really clever, criminally underrated, brilliant, an absolute joy. I know a lot of people think the gender flipped thing is crap, but honestly, it's an incredible show about mm. addiction and about uh, you know friendship. And yeah, they do some weird crime shit mm. in that show. Mm. Um, I've just watched for the second time mm. the documentary on Ted Bundy, right? And I'll tell you what, <sighs> seriously bad guy. Yeah, uh, charismatic and evil. I'd like to ask you in a future episode whether you ever encountered anyone like oh. that. <laughs> They're out there. All right. Well, we can deal with that in a future episode if you like. But I mean, just just as a quick kind of like spoiler, did you have you encountered charismatic criminals? Is that a thing? Yeah, I worked with some of them. What do you mean you worked with some of them? That's it's exactly what I said. You worked with criminals, police. Are you gonna? Name names? You're joking, aren't you? But I worked with some psycho police. Really? Yeah, you know that. There's a few intense people in the book. There's a few scary people in the book. But no one who I would regard as a psychopath. A psychopath is a person that is uh, devoid of any... Uh, it's it's Look, it's a, it's a whole new... Uh, yeah, I, I was led to believe psychopaths actually um, cannot feel... No, but they can learn. But yeah, so they can't feel emotion, but they are really good at faking it. So oh. they, they learn how to mimic human emotion and mm. manipulate people because they actually because they can't engage emotionally, mm. they don't feel any pity or remorse. Yeah, I sat opposite a psychopath once and I actually uh I don't believe in the devil, but I'll tell you what, this guy was the devil incarnate yeah. and you just knew it's it's something else. They you know, it's 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 freaky. I've heard it said before that hell is other people, and I think well, sometimes I've been, that's true. I've been into a lot of um, you know mental institutions, mm. psych- psychiatric institutions, and yeah. I've you know because we used to um, schedule people and to go into um, an asylum back in the eighties. It was it was one flew over the cuckoo's nest, but real. Jesus and it Christ. was, you know, it was uh, it was like a zombie movie on speed. You know, they'd come up and they're all medicated. Yeah. And they'd come up and they just, they were drawn to the police uniform. And they just sort of, and they'd, it was like, and they were sort of moving slowly and dragging their feet and they'd be sort of rubbing their hands all over you. And it was just, and there'd be, you know, women in, in these institutions that are just stripped down, take their nighties off and just sort of parade around. And it was, you know, it was just intense. And then you had to go sort of back and go home that night. And it's just, it's trippy. Yeah. I think this podcast is really opening my eyes, and I, I assume it's opening your eyes, listeners, as well. Uh, well, look, sadly, that's all the time we have for this very, very disturbing episode of Loose Units 2 Electric Blue. If you're feeling triggered or freaked out or shaky or anything, um, please, you know, have a chat with someone, have a lie down, you know, just, just take whatever time you need um, to give yourself some distance, because I, for one, am feeling a little bit shaky. 
It's Father's Day next week, and to celebrate, we are hosting a special Father's Day show this week, okay? We are doing a Father's Day show this week, Friday night at the Toff in town. For more information, and if there's any, even any tickets left, all you have to do is head across to our Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash loose units. Thank you so much for listening. Take care of yourselves, and we will see you next week. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.